Hello there, I'm Benny. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. Hey Kyle. Hey Benny. How's it going? Pretty good, how about you? Oh, you know, it's going okay. I spent most of yesterday cleaning uh, parts of my apartment after we had a plumbing disaster caused by our upstairs neighbors once again. Um, wish I could say this was the first time. It was not. Oh, man. So those of you out there who are upstairs neighbors, please never flush anything other than, and I'm sorry in advance for the terms I have to use, pee, poo, and toilet paper. Those are your options. <laughs> <laughs> the only things that go down the toilet are those three. Yes. Yeah, I was I was going to ask if you wanted to tell our listeners why we're recording a day after originally intended <laughs> or if it was a t- too recent and traumatic of a memory. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it, Kyle. I do appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was really something. Yeah, I, that was Many more hours spent cleaning human waste uh, that I would prefer. And I would prefer zero. Yeah, zero is definitely Dead zero. <laughs> ideal. Uh, <laughs> my actually, my very first paid job was cleaning human waste. I was a cleaner at the a local elementary school and oh. assigned to bathroom duty. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you sympathize then. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, well, let's take our minds off of it by talking about some Doctor Who. Indeed. So, we are here on Season 1, Episode 21, The Sea of Death. Sea of Death. And normally, I would be asking you at this point if you remember what the Cliftangler was last time, but I think in a Doctor Who first, we actually didn't have a Cliftangler last time. I do remember the lack of Cliff Dangler, though, so do I get partial credit? <laughs> <laughs> I think that counts. Because uh, we had just finished the uh, Marco Polo serial. Right. And then they just kind of left. Yeah, the TARDIS, kind of it. TARDIS disappears, and the camera actually stays with Marco Polo and Kublai Khan. Mm-hmm. And the only hint that we have about like what's next is the episode title, Sea of Death. It's interesting, though, because, you know, up until this point, every every episode has ended with something that the next episode begins with, and it picks up, like, right where it left off, essentially, mm-hmm. but not here. And that actually gives a really good place for, like, fanfic and stuff to be inserted. Uh-huh. Because, you know... They left the Marco Polo serial, and now we're going to see this next serial, but it's not necessarily canon that they went directly from Marco Polo to this other one. They, you know, they could have done some other adventure in the meantime that just wasn't on TV. Yeah, I always love fan fiction opportunities like that, because um, there's sometimes, like, between... Um, 
Star Wars uh, Force Awakens and The uh, Last Jedi, where like it picks up immediately. Like Ray is offering Luke that lightsaber, and then you know it cuts right back to that scene in the next movie. So you can't have Ray going on any adventures between those two movies because like that's it. Right. Uh, as opposed to like between the uh, Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker, where you know time passes, so they can go on any number of adventures and probably you know this being star wars they probably did go on any number of adventures and you'll probably learn all about them in various comics and novels and who knows what through the years Mm -hmm. there's actually a a company i guess production company whatever called big finish that does audio stories and they do like a whole bunch of of audio doctor who adventures uh, which I have to admit I've never actually listened to. I <laughs> think they're semi-canonical, but I think they're basically like all, they all take place in like gaps in the TV show like this one here. Cool. So, you know, if this podcast lasts long enough and we like finish covering the TV show, then maybe we'll move <laughs> on to Big Finish. Uh, Kyle, you and your lofty ambitions. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, you know, if we're going to finish the, uh, no, no, I'm going to, I shouldn't even, (laughs) knock on wood, knock on wood, it'll be great. (laughs) So what we actually do get to start this episode with is something that I'm not sure we've had for a little while, which is an awesome model shot. Nice. Yeah. So we see this island in a very reflective sea and the island is covered in rocks but mostly the landscape is dominated by like this big pretty steep pyramid oh awesome i love it yeah and the camera zooms in on one of the beaches of this island and what appears but our favorite three inch tardis model (laughs) Uh, I, I really assume that they found someone who enjoyed those like model train sets oh, and yeah. hired them because I've seen pictures <laughs> of the tiny t- TARDIS and it does seem to be the right like scale for mm-hmm. those tiny model train sets. That would actually make a lot of sense if they you know they probably used sort of the model train set hobby shops and whatnot to make their <laughs> models i bet yeah and keep in mind i know nothing about like model trains or or models in general so <laughs> your mileage may vary if you're out there maybe there's someone out there someday when we get more listeners who's like um actually that's in you know 125 millimeter scale and the model trains at the time would have been i i can't even finish a sentence i can't bullshit enough terminology <laughs> <laughs> feel free to email us at uh, what is it? The doctor's watcher at gmail.com. Listen to whatever's at the end of our episode. That's, that's got the correct email address. E- email someone. <laughs> I know our Twitter is doctor watcher. So you can always tweet us as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure our Gmail is the doctor's watcher. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just love the three inch TARDIS. Yes. It's so cute. Yes. The music through this whole sequence is pretty great too. I'll probably put some of it like behind this discussion. Not as great as our theme song. Thank you, Circuit 23. 
Indeed, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, there was actually another exciting thing that happens during this opening sequence that I wanted to mention, and that is the on-screen title written by Terry Nation. What? Which is exciting because I think we remember that Terry Nation invented the Daleks a couple of serials ago. Yeah, yep, yep. Of course, the Daleks were destroyed at the end of that, so the serial we can expect <laughs> to be about something completely different. So we cut to the inside of the TARDIS, and it becomes clear that Ian also saw the Terry Nation writing credit and he's remembering the Dalek planet because literally the very first line of dialogue in the episode is Ian asking, Any radiation, Doctor? <laughs> Ian has learned his lesson. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the Doctor responds, No, nothing to speak of. The Count is hardly reading anything. Shall we take a look? And Ian's like, let's give it five minutes. <laughs> Can't fool me twice. <laughs> go check again, just to be sure. We'll walk away and make the camera think that we're going to leave and then go back and check. <laughs> yep. Barbara complains about the lack of color television in the TARDIS. <laughs> wow, and color television. High tech. <laughs> the doctor reveals that he actually does have color TV. It's just broken at the moment. Ah, okay. Of course, we're watching this in black and white. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if they wanted him to have color television, they could have just been like, oh, look at this color television. We never uh -huh. would have known the difference. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting because, like, I had, until this moment, I had assumed that his scanner was in color. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, it's... apparently it's been black and white the whole time. <laughs> they don't see anything dangerous looking on the black and white scanner. They just see the sea and the sand. Apparently, Ian had thought that he saw something move on the scanner when they first landed, but he dismisses it as probably just a shadow. <laughs> it's like on Star Trek, especially, I think, Star Trek The Next Generation, whenever somebody, especially an engineer, thinks they saw <laughs> something, but it was probably just their imagination. I'm probably just tired. I'm working too hard. No, you do a full ship scan and you check every, <laughs> you know, electromagnetic wavelength that there is because I guarantee uh, you. <laughs> it, it was something. <laughs> every time. So they, they ignore this obvious threat of <laughs> space vampires. Of course. And they decide to leave this TARDIS and check the place out. I did want to mention that Ian is still wearing his 13th century Asia clothing. Oh, cool. He's got this like nice silk shirt on that's like open down the front with a high collared undershirt. And, you know, there's these like Chinese characters embroidered down the lapel and like this cool crane painted on the back. Cool. And yeah, this, is, this is an actual episode that we, ha that we have, right? Yeah, yeah. We're out of missing episodes now. We're back into actual episodes. So it's almost like we get a little glimpse into the lost serial, mm -hmm. the Mongols. Yeah, it was kind of fun. I'll, I'll be curious to see how long this costume lasts. <laughs> the camera shows us that somewhere else on the island... These four kind of glass torpedo looking things 
are moving through the water toward the island. They're like these glass tubes with like fins on them and stuff. Very cool. Yeah. And three of them end up on one beach and the fourth ends up on another beach a little ways away. I like that they're glass for some reason. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As the fourth one lands on the beach, that's when we first can really see that they're glass. And this one has something clearly inside of it and also a lot of liquid sloshing around inside of it. It's a recipe, a DIY recipe from your friend. (laughs) Open it up. Look inside. (laughs) I was wandering the beach the other night and came across some weird shells and I just had this brilliant idea that I would share it with you. I was wandering the lovely shore of the Sea of Death. (laughs) (laughs) So our adventuring party leaves the TARDIS and Susan immediately comments on how beautiful the sea is. And Ian mentions that it's absolutely still there's not, like, a single ripple or wave or anything. Ominous. Yeah. They even wonder if it's frozen. And the doctor has a bit of an odd line. He says, No, impossible in this temperature. Besides, it's too warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, Doc. I guess, sure. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> Susan wants to go swimming, but the doctor says it's not safe. They don't know what creatures might lurk below the surface. Or even what the water is made of, or the liquid is made of. They start exploring, you know, poking around, climbing behind rocks and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they don't see that they have been noticed by a creature. So... We, the viewers, don't get to see the upper portion of this creature. Okay. (laughs) From what we do see, it seems to be a human-like, you know, sort of roughly human-shaped creature in a rubber suit. (laughs) But the rubber, yeah, but the rubber suit has big webbed hands and feet. Dun-dun-dun. As they explore, they notice that it's pretty quiet also. There's no, like, birds or any noise like that. And there's, like, nothing growing, no plant life, really. The doctor actually gets Ian's name correct, although he calls him Chesterton, of course, not Ian. Mm -hmm. But he shows him some glass that he found. Apparently, they're, like portions of this island that have glass instead of sand. Hmm. All you uh, Minecraft fans know that you can make uh, glass out of sand by (laughs) heating it. That's Uh, actually something that the doctor speculates on. Oh, nice. Very cool. uh, If the sand turned into glass. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who is a science show. (laughs) Susan finds a little pool like in the rocks and whatever, and takes her shoes off because she decides to splash her feet in the pool at least if she can't go swimming. Barbara 
is like climbing over to where Susan is and accidentally bumps into her and she drops one of her shoes into the pool. And the shoe promptly disintegrates. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, she's about to go in after it, but Ian stops her because he sees that the shoe is dissolving. (laughs) Uh, Well, good catch, Ian. Uh Uh-huh. So Ian realizes, of course, that the pool must be some sort of acid. (laughs) They send Susan back to the ship to get some more shoes, Ian gives her his boots to wear, like, on the way back, so she doesn't cut her feet on the glass. Oh, that's smart. Is she going to bring him more boots, or at least bring his original boots back? Uh, He's in socks now, but I think she was just going to bring his original boots back. I feel like this is turning into a word problem. (laughs) After Susan leaves, Barbara points out kind of a disturbing fact this is a tidal pool. Mm, so the water level's going to rise. Yeah, and by implication, the entire sea is acid. Nice. So, sea of death, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're doing pretty good so far. Uh-huh. I think this is, uh, this is doing better than Forest of Fear. Yes. I mean, the, the rubber suit, the, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of picturing a creature from the Black Lagoon type situation. Uh, I think it's very promising. Mm-hmm. Back at the TARDIS, rubber suit is messing with the lock, kind of trying to, like, turn it like a doorknob. And do we still not, like, get a good look at it? No, not yet. Well, we've, we have a pretty good look from, like, if it's humanoid from about the torso down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, we still haven't seen anything above that yet. Excellent. So it's, it's, you know, trying to turn the TARDIS lock like a doorknob, but it leaves the scene before Susan shows up. Meanwhile, the doctor, Barbara and Ian discover the three torpedo things on the one beach. Cool. And, you know, they're speculating about what they are. Ian speculates that they could be one-man submarines. <laughs> and he and the doctor start trying to open one of them. And while they're attempting this, Barbara discovers the fourth one on the next beach over. And there's something inside it. Dun-dun-dun. So they head over to that beach to check it out with her. We cut back to... Susan exiting the TARDIS and she's carrying Ian's boots now and wearing a fresh pair of shoes and she notices rubber suits flipper prints in the sand. Oh, cool. So instead of rejoining the rest of the party, she sets Ian's boots down and like starts tracking the the flipper prints basically on her own. Yep. Splitting the party. Rubber suit comes out of hiding as Susan leaves the area and finally shows the camera its head. Or, you know, the top portion of its body. I don't want to, like, make assumptions about alien physiology. (laughs) Um, In any case, the rubber suit itself continues upward like entirely covering what we might think of as the head portion of the body. And 
the whole rubber suit is black, but there are like two large blacker portions resembling like huge insectoid eyes in the face like area of the head portion. How amazing and goofy does this look? <laughs> there are like two sort of swooped back Batman style ears at the top back of the head portion. And there's also kind of like a large hood ornament type thing sticking up from the front. Uh, every detail, every detail is gold. <laughs> it's like this big circle on a stick just kind of like sticking up in front of its front top head portion area in between the two eye things. It's great. I love the creature design here. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, Terry Nation, they, they can't all be winners. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes they're great in other ways. <laughs> I did want to say to the listeners and to you too, Benny, that you should definitely do an image search for this creature. We don't know what it's called yet, but I promise you, spoiler alert, we do learn what it's called later on in this episode, and you can image search it then. Oh, all right, all right. I was going to do it now, but I'll do it then. <laughs> so back at the, the submarines on the beach, the doctor has discovered a crack in the glass of this fourth torpedo submarine thing. And that's where the acid has seeped in. That's like the liquid that we saw sloshing around in it earlier. Okay. Ian manages to open the lid and he uses the doctor's walking stick to pull out the contents, which turns out to be a rubber suit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like he kind of holds it up with a stick so they can look at it and stuff. But it's just like an empty, floppy rubber suit. And is it the same type of creature suit as the creature that we saw? Yeah. So, like, earlier I wasn't sure if if rubber suit that we've seen walking around, mm -hmm. like, if we were seeing its skin or if it was, like, wearing a rubber suit, but I think this makes it clear that it was actually wearing a rubber suit. That's not its skin. That's actually a suit. I'm a little disappointed, but so far the episode is still going well. <laughs> they wonder like how whatever was in it got out and then they realized that it didn't <laughs> it just dissolved yep barbara discovers a tear in the suit so yeah apparently it's not technically empty it's <laughs> just filled with with acid sludge alien creature mm-hmm they start heading back to the TARDIS to look for Susan because they figure she should have rejoined them by now. And Ian actually notices the pyramid for the first time. He says, Look at that fantastic building. And so how, how far away was this pyramid and how incredibly obvious is it now that they're looking at it? <laughs> it was a pretty small island to begin with. So, yeah, I kind of think they just, like, maybe this was the first time any of them looked, like, higher than eye level at anything. <laughs> sure. Okay. 
<laughs> so Ian says, Look at that fantastic building. And the doctor's like, Good. Good. Now perhaps we might learn who it is that uses these strange ships. Anyway, let's go back to the ship and find Susan. Later, perhaps a, a little visiting, I think. Yes. <laughs> Susan has already arrived at the base of the pyramid. And she starts looking around. There's this nice, like, walking path around the base with these cool arches extending from the pyramid over the path every five feet or so. That is cool. There's uh, a pretty obvious point at which you can see, like, set ends and matte painting begins <laughs> of, of path continuing. But but it was still, yeah, it was it was cool. So she is exploring. She approaches a corner of the pyramid, and the camera shows us that around the corner where she can't see, there's a rubber suit holding a knife up ready to strike. Mm. But before she goes around the corner, the camera cuts back to the rest of the party who has discovered that Susan is not at the TARDIS. I'm kind of surprised they just had like a normal knife and not like (laughs) a ray gun or Uh two ray guns. I kind of thought that the, the GM was a little bit annoyed that the party is split. So they're like setting up this dangerous situation and then like not resolving it. It's like, all right, now we're going to cut back to the other group and see how things are going with them. You would roll initiative if you brought your party. How about you just sit there and wait, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> just start looking up the the rules for like injury, healing, maybe death or dying, <laughs> probably. Go go ahead and learn those pretty well. <laughs> so the rest of the party has discovered that Susan's not at the TARDIS. They've apparently searched it, and they, you know, they've found Ian's boots outside the TARDIS. He's put them back on, and the doctor explains his new theory that the Sea of Acid is a defensive barrier, and thus all visitors are unwelcome, which Mm. would include both them and the rubber suits. Like a moat. Right. Like, yeah, if a whole sea of acid as your moat. Very cool. Very cool. They speculate that maybe Susan went to check out the pyramid. So that's what they all decide to do. It's just because that's what they wanted to do. And they're like, yeah, maybe Susan did that too. I don't know. Sure, sure it seems plausible. Let's go. Uh, it, it actually did kind of seem like that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Dalek Kyle. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. If so, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. If you are not enjoying it, you can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. 
back at the pyramid, it turns out Rubber Suit was standing next to a trick wall. So, you know, the kind of like, if you have a secret passageway behind your fireplace, Mm -hmm. you traditionally access it via like a spinning wall section with identical fireplaces on either side of the wall. (laughs) It's like that, except this wall is just a blank wall on both sides. Um, Yeah. Could have put a little more creativity into it. (laughs) So the wall, the wall spins around and like swallows up rubber suit before Susan rounds the corner. And did Rubber Suit seem surprised by this, or like Rubber Suit did it on purpose? Uh, I think Rubber Suit was surprised. Okay. It it was silent, but I think was surprised. Okay, cool. But when Susan goes around the corner, there's nothing there for her to see at all, except for, you know, more arches all the way down to the next corner of, of the pyramid. The GM's like, well, I guess I don't really have the time for you to roll up a whole new character, so maybe I shouldn't kill you yet. The rest of the party arrives at the pyramid, and Ian and Barbara give us a small Doctor Who is an educational show moment as they discuss the craftsmanship of the pyramid. Apparently there's no mortar between the blocks in the construction, which means it was constructed with a great degree of accuracy and a precise distribution of weight. Cool. And do they say, just like the pyramids on Earth? Barbara actually points out that... Yes, the Egyptians did the same thing. So did the Indians of Central and Southern America. Very cool. Yeah. They discuss the best way to search for Susan, and the doctor proposes something that is always a good idea. Splitting the party. Splitting the party. Yes. <laughs> I, I shouldn't even like pretend that like I did a good job at guessing that. I feel like at this point, everyone guessed that. <laughs> so he'll go one way. Ian and Barbara will go the other way. They'll circle around the pyramid and meet up on the far side. I really feel like the doctor is probably not the one who should be going off on his own. Yeah, you'd think. Like, I think Ian or Barbara could, you know, either, both of them could handle themselves on their own, but I'm not sure about the doctor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. But this is what they do. The doctor heads one way, and Barbarian heads the other way. <laughs> uh, if we have any new listeners joining in on this episode, Barbarian is the name for the our Barbara-Ian ship. And also maybe go back and listen to the other episodes. <laughs> Otherwise, some of this is going to make no sense to you. Uh-huh. So Susan is also still exploring the pyramid herself. But as she stops and adjusts her shoe at one point, she gets swallowed up into the pyramid by another trick wall. Nice. Unlike Rubber Suit, she screams as it happens. And Barbara and Ian hear this and rush off towards the noise. So the camera cuts to the doctor, who gets swallowed up by his own trick wall just before Ian and Barbara arrive where he was, having not found Susan yet. Mm. And, like, now 
you know, they wonder where the doctor is. Ian's like, I mean, even if he'd been traveling at half speed, he should have reached that far corner by now. So, you know, I know he's like fucking old and slow, but like, <laughs> we should see him, you know, coming a long distance away at least. Unless the pyramid has strange geometries, <laughs> the angles and the uh, lengths of the sides don't add up. Non-Euclidean pyramid. Uh-huh. Hey, and you can help. Inside the pyramid, Susan is slowly walking down a corridor and does not see the rubber suit who is hiding very obviously and ineffectively along the wall ahead of her. <laughs> I think this was very clearly an instance of Carol Ann Ford, who plays Susan, rolling a one on her perception check. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was that the writers were like, okay, and then, you know, the script says the creature is hiding, but then the set designers forgot to give it a place to hide. <laughs> and the director had to be like, oh, don't stand there, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, like when the, when the GM asks you to roll perception and then you roll a one, <laughs> like as a player, it's, it's interesting because your character is completely oblivious to everything around them. Yeah, Kyle, please tell me what I should do in that situation as the <laughs> GM in uh -huh. our D&D game. <laughs> but yeah, like you, the player, do know that there's some reason the GM asks, <laughs> asks you to roll that. So. Yes, I do. So what would you recommend <laughs> I do in that situation? Uh, in this situation, I think Caroline Ford was kind of on her guard a little bit. But, you know, you, you, you know that there's... An, not really anything you can do to prevent whatever's about to happen. Yeah. So being on her guard due to the failed perception check, Susan, the character actually turns around and starts backing down the corridor while watching the cross corridor ahead of her. <laughs> uh, on the one hand, I can see how you'd want to be careful. On the other hand, you're definitely going to back into a rubber suit. <laughs> So the, you know, there's like a T-shaped intersection in the hallway that she's now looking at and backing away from. And a hooded, robed monk figure comes down that hall. And this figure and Susan see each other. But the hooded robed monk figure doesn't really seem to care just kind of like turns around and leaves in the same direction it came from susan meanwhile continues backing down the hallway right into the arms of rubber suit oh good for a second when you said there was a monk figure i was like oh no was i wrong is she getting captured <laughs> by a monk figure i had nothing nope. to worry about no it was rubber suit <laughs> rubber suit starts grappling with her but this doesn't last very long. Um, because nobody wants to look up the grapple rules. Right. I think the GM got a bit lazy with the NPCs and the monsters here because after just a few moments, Rubber Suit suddenly stops grappling and just falls to the floor dead with a knife sticking out of its back. And then Hooded Monk figure comes back around the corner of the T-shaped intersection and approaches Susan. Nice. 
She should grab the knife. <laughs> we don't get to see like what the follow-up is here because the camera cuts over to Ian and Barbara. So who who knifed Rubber Stewart? It wasn't the monk, right? Because the monk was down the hall. Uh, we don't know. Because, so, yeah, Susan is in, like, the, you know, the vertical part of the T okay. in the T-shaped hallway. Uh-huh. And she's backing away from, like, you know, the top horizontal part mm-hmm. where the monk figure appeared from and then disappeared back into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, she's attacked, you know, farther, farther down the hallway by rubber suit, whose back is, I had assumed up against the wall, but I, I sort of got the impression that like hooded monk figure kind of went down a different hallway and stabbed rubber suit like doubled back around and came back around something like that yeah see, see listeners this is why sometimes you just have to use miniatures when you're uh <laughs> combat yeah that's true i as much as i i generally prefer theater of the mind and like fudging it with distances and stuff sometimes you really need a map <laughs> so we cut to barbara sitting on the ground outside the pyramid and Ian is just kind of wandering around a little bit as they discuss what to do next. Should they do another circuit of the pyramid or should they head back to the ship under the assumption that maybe Susan hadn't come to the pyramid in the first place or what? And as they're having this discussion, Ian has kind of gone around the corner a little bit. And a moment later he stops responding to Barbara. So she gets up and goes looking for him. And of course he is nowhere to be found. (laughs) Classic. Uh Uh-huh. She briefly leans up against the wall and of course is then taken into the pyramid herself through the trick wall. And finally, this time we see when the wall spins around that hooded monk is on the other side of it. Hmm. Is it the same hooded monk? Uh, unclear. (laughs) Inside the pyramid, we see that Ian finds the dead rubber suit, while Susan, the doctor, and Barbara have all been reunited. And we get a little bit of backstory. The doctor explains to everyone that hooded monk lives here in the pyramid and the rubber suits are all intruders Hmm. which of course the adventuring party is as well fair yeah doctors like yes with one difference which is puzzling but relieving they died and we are only prisoners which i'd say is a pretty good difference yes especially for them Uh uh-huh i'm sure that they may prefer it that way meanwhile Hooded Monk is attacked by a rubber suit. Oh no. But Ian happens upon this and Ian attacks the rubber suit. They grapple for a little bit and Ian makes rubber suit drop his knife. And then Ian ends up forcing rubber suit up against a trap door, basically, which opens and drops rubber suit down into the sea of acid. Oh, dang. Yeah. 
So it did, and it's it, like, did Ian know that that trapdoor was there, or was it just kind of a lucky roll? I think it was just a lucky roll. Yeah, I don't think he intentionally murdered Rubber Suit. <laughs> well, if if the rubber suits are acid proof, and that's why they're wearing those suits. Oh, that's stuff. true. Yeah, as maybe long as he's not dead. Uh, it was a long fall, though. Rubber Suit does have plenty of time to scream as it falls. Oh, okay. Hooded Monk has taken his hood off now, and turns out it's an older human-looking dude, probably in his, like, mid-50s or so, bald on top, but with this, like, nice ring of white hair, you know, around the baldness. Like a tonsure. Uh-huh. Ian asks if he's a prisoner here, and he's like, uh, kinda? I can't leave, but it's also kind of my home. He tells Ian that his friends are safe, but he had to treat them as potential enemies until he knew otherwise, because the Vord were breaking in. The Vord. So, Vord, that's V-O-O-R-D. All right, listeners. If you want to take a moment to image search them. Boy, do I. (laughs) I love them. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Oh, listeners, I hope that you too are uh, image searching these amazing, like, looks like a dude in a rubber suit with Batman-like ears and these two darker spots for the eyes and then the weird hood ornament. (laughs) <laughs> yep, pretty much exactly as Kyle described it. it. It took me a little bit to come up with hood ornament as how I was going to describe that bit, <laughs> but I think that's really what it, like the best the best thing I could say about it. Google even has an image of Susan co- coming around the corner and the the Vord standing there ready to <laughs> ambush her. Nice. Well, I shouldn't I shouldn't look at too many of these pictures because uh, I don't want any spoilers. <laughs> So it turns out that Monk Dude is the sole occupant of Pyramid Island and thus its sole defender from the Vord who attacked years ago and seemed to be trying again. He's like, Oh, please. Let us release your companions and then I'll try to explain. And Ian's like, Good idea. And they head off. Huh. So he was like, please let me release your companions. And Ian's like, okay. <laughs> Don't let <laughs> uh, me stop you. <laughs> My companions, I want them released. <laughs> Little do they know, of course, there's another rubber suit. I mean, Vord watching. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard habit to break. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to a control room seeming area where the doctor is like, oh, please tell me more backstory. I want to know all the backstory. Yes. And Monksuit is like, cool. And the GM clears their throat. Yeah, the, the GM, you can see the GM like <laughs> pulling up the page in their notes and you're like, uh-huh. okay. Flipping uh, through the notebook. 
So it turns out the planet is called Marinus, and they built this cool device that was essentially an artificial intelligence cool. that served as an impartial judge and jury that was never wrong. Cool. So, cool. cool. I hope that worked out for them. Yeah. Well, eventually, as their technology improved, they ended up giving it mind control powers, basically. Yeah, like I said, I hope that worked (laughs) out for them. (laughs) It was able to... Radiate its power and influence the minds of men throughout the planet. They no longer had to decide what was wrong or right. The machine decided for them. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that <laughs> sounds totally cool. This lasted for about seven centuries, during which time Marinus was apparently a totally cool and chill place to be, until eventually a dude named Yartek figured out how to overcome the machine, and he became a totally evil dude. Dang it, Yartek, why can't you just submit your mind to the machine? (laughs) So Yartek had a bunch of followers, which are apparently the Vord. And since the rest of Marinus was all totally chill, they didn't really know how to stop Yartek and the Vord from just, like, running rampant over the whole place. Chill out, dude. Just vibe with the machine, man. Just come vibe with us. (laughs) So at this point, we, the viewers, get to see that there is, of course, a Vord outside the room listening to all of this through the door. Also getting all the backstory. I like how you only ever see one Vord at a time. They only had one Vord costume. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Ian asks why they didn't just destroy the machine at that point, because it had become a liability, basically. Mm -hmm. It was too chill. Monk Dude is like, I'm glad you asked. That dialogue option is how you unlock the quest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should have saved first. (laughs) (laughs) He explains that they hoped that they could fix it up so Yartek and the Vord wouldn't be able to overcome its influence anymore. So instead of destroying it, they removed the five key microcircuits. I thought he meant key microcircuits as in like the five most important ones. Mm -hmm. But as the dialogue continues, I think it... I think he actually means key microcircuits in the sense of, like, the microcircuits that unlock or activate it. Oh, gotcha. The key microcircuits. The key microcircuits. Key microcircuits. Right. Let's just pretend that made sense. (laughs) (laughs) So there are five key microcircuits. One key microcircuit is in a pyramid of lava. The other key microcircuit (laughs) is in a pyramid of water. There's a key microcircuit where everything is upside down in the pyramid on its tip. Crap, i got to come up with two more. Um, uh, there's one <laughs> in the pyramid where where time freezes. Oh, very good, very good. And, uh, <laughs> and the last one is a robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a robot built by the space vampires. 
Yes, yes, a robot pyramid built by his vampires. So Monk Dude actually kept one of the key microcircuits here in the control room. Oh, sweet. That's only four we need to find. Uh-huh. But the other four are all hidden safely around Marinus. In the same place. This is going to be a <laughs> short quest. <laughs> in the intervening years, he has upgraded the machine, so it should be strong enough to control the Vord. So it's time to collect the keys and reactivate the machine. Heck yes, let's turn on the mind control machine. I'm sure this will go <laughs> just as well as it did the first time. Uh-huh. Turns out he's actually sent people on this quest before, including his own daughter, but no one has ever returned from it. Oh, dang. Yeah, that's part of why he's here all alone. Well, he's an NPC quest giver. All he can do is keep giving this quest to more and more people as they come by. Yep. So he gives them the quest. He says, Now your coming has brought new hope. Oh, yes. Yes. You must find the keys for me. So we cut to the beach near the TARDIS, where Barbara is like, I don't know about you, but I felt terrible leaving that old man. You seem to be his last hope. And Ian's like, Yes, I wish there had been something we could have done for him. So they refuse the quest. Oh, dang. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the GM is like, I've got this cool adventure module prepared. And the players are just like, eh, next. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It's always nice when you have a GM that flexible. Well, at the TARDIS, we actually get some great, terrible pantomiming as they all discover that there's now an invisible force field around the TARDIS. Yes. And the monk dude's voice booms out saying, Fuck you all, I worked really hard on this awesome adventure module. You're going to play it. Yes. If you help me find the keys of Marinus, I will let you have free access to your machine when you have delivered all the keys to me. If not, you will stay on the island without food or water. The choice is yours. Choo-choo. Because <laughs> we're getting railroaded. <laughs> So we cut back to the control room where we've skipped past the scene where Monk Dude actually gives them all the specific details of the quest, where the keys are hidden, etc. Mm-hmm. It's in their quest log. Yeah. Just, just hit J, it'll bring up your journal. So it's about time for them to go, and the doctor's like, If you think I'm going to travel across that acid sea in one of these primitive mer- uh, submersibles, you're very much mistaken. And... Monk dude is like, Think of asking you to travel in such an absurd way. No, I'm going to give you a device which will enable you to move from place to place. Oh, really? Cool. And he hands them all these wristwatches. And he's like, yeah, these are kind of like your ship, except just space, not time. And Ian is like, What? This little thing? And the doctor's like, Oh, don't be ridiculous, my boy. This is a perfectly acceptable method of travel. Very compact and very neat, sir, if I may say. (laughs) That's pretty cool. The doctor's like, dang, I've been hauling around this whole phone booth. That turns out all I need is a watch, at least for Uh the space part. I guess the rest of the phone booth is for the time part. Yeah, I guess the time probably takes more more engineering than space. (laughs) So Monk Dude tells them that they're 
they're all pre-programmed with all the destinations, so they just need to turn the dial. And Barbara says, Like this? And turns her dial and just vanishes. <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> like that. And yeah, Monk Dude's like, uh, you might want to follow her pretty quickly. So before they all head out, Monk Dude tells them that if the Vord have taken over by the time they get back, just don't let the Vord get the keys. So they all turn their dials and disappear. And then a Vord attacks Monk Dude from behind and stabs him in the back. Sure, it's a good thing he mentioned that. Should the Vord take over, um, <laughs> they know what to do. Uh-huh. So camera cuts to another location Ian, Susan, and the Doctor all appear. The Doctor's laughing, and he says, Oh, how exhilarating! Barbara, however, is nowhere to be seen. They're like, wait, which, which thing did she turn her dial to? Uh-huh. Uh, Ian actually does find her travel dial on the ground, and he says, Look, there's blood on it. Oh. And with this, the screen fades to black, the theme music starts, and the text, next episode, The Velvet Web appears on screen. The Velvet Web. Nice. Nice. Man, I every every one of these, most of these, the majority of these, <laughs> I think, have been so good. Yeah, like the Velvet Web, man, that that's up there. Cause Sea of Death, like that's great, that's like solid. But you know, of Death, that's a little obvious. You know, it's a little yeah, that's true. Gimme, but then and like the sea itself didn't really have that much to do with things. Like it was a cool setting, but it didn't really. I feel it didn't really affect the plot too much other than, like, the rubber suits arrived in glass torpedoes. That was pretty neat, though. Which is cool, but it, it's just setting. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool setting. You know, I appreciate a little, uh, a little atmosphere, a little mood. Yeah, I, I suppose it's fair to name an episode after setting rather than plot. Like, those are both equally valid. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I love this. I think that the uh, the creatures are amazing. Um, the, I already forgot what they're called, the Vood? Vord. Vord. Fantastic. Yeah, because yeah, then there's also, like, the Ood. Now there's the Vord. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's good. Like the, yeah, this like is a fun suits. one. I think that the monk guy was a little, I don't know, a little underwhelming for a sci-fi episode. Just some random guy. Um... He was probably, pretty pretty probably quest givery. Probably a human, as far as we know. Yeah, I mean, yeah he he looks as human as the doctor and Susan. Fair. Cool. Um, yeah, I'll be curious to see what happens next. And for once, listeners, I I, I actually have to wait um, to find out because uh, it's a evening on a work night almost a school night um so i need to wrap it up now um 
And I only get to do one episode a day, boo. Indeed, this episode's a bit on the long side anyway, so yeah, I'll we'll probably see cut out every, how much we cut it down. I'll cut out every joke I told. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll see you in two weeks for the Velvet Web. Indeed. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. television oh but i have well, where is it then well at the moment it's uh temporarily uh hold a compound <laughs>